Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, March 13, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Good to see everybody this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter, chapter 6. We were, we were out last week as we took the Lord's Supper together and we veered off the sermon on the world and the evil of this world and how the world is against us, but Christ has overcome the world. And so today we're back in Hebrews and I'm going to, we're really only going to be looking at verses, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, but this is really a second part of, it continues uh, what the author began in chapter 5, verse 11. So let me read from 5.11 to 6.3, excuse me, 6.3, and then we'll, we'll pray. So chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning again as we've prayed a number of times this morning. Father, that is so good because we completely rely upon you. Father, we come very humbled because we, we know that we need your help so greatly. And I give thanks, and we give thanks, and even from the Sunday school lesson this morning that Christ is always interceding for us at your right hand, which really this book of Hebrews just points out so much that Christ is now seated. He's risen. He's ascended to your right hand where he sits, the majesty on high. And our Lord Jesus not only has covered our sins because of his person and work and what he did on the cross, but now he doesn't leave us there. He always intercedes for us. As our sins are to the uttermost, so Christ, His death and what He has done goes that far for us. So Father, this, this morning I pray that You would help us. Pray that Jesus would increase, that I and that we would decrease. Father, I pray that You would work in, 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 in these words from me, 
In spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We just give you this time now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we come to chapter 6 of Hebrews, we know that these verses continue from chapter 5, verse 11. And actually they will continue next week where we'll move on to, the, to the, this very difficult teaching um, of apostasy. So we'll be there next week. But all of these go together. And though I believe this warning, we're finding warnings after warning. After, I didn't realize that when I came to the book of Hebrews. I'm, I, hang on one second. Am I really loud today back there in the back? I feel Maybe it feels to me. Okay, just me then. But I've, I've been surprised at just how many warnings there are in the book of Hebrews. And I believe that this book was written to Christians, primarily Hebrew Christians, of course, and there were others, Gentiles, that were there, but mostly Hebrew Christians. But I believe these warnings were for them and these warnings are for us. And so it's, these warnings are God's grace to us. Hey, press on, move on to maturity. And so, as we think about this, the entire book, but particularly this morning, we must remember the context. The author was writing to those Jewish Christians who had given up Judaism, that whole economy, that whole system, everything that was there, and they had moved on and trusted Christ. And they were being persecuted. And lots of things are going on, and they're wondering, wow, has the decision I made, was, was, it, was it good and right? And then I'm being persecuted here by my family and my friends and my, my nation. And so we must keep that in mind as we preach through this book. They had come, those Christians had come to the one who was superior to all of the forms and shadows and pictures that were found in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is just the, the foundation that leads us to finally the coming of Christ. And then we put it together. And that's what we what an awesome book to, to be able to do that with Hebrews. But, chapter 5, verse 11. They had become dull of hearing. We looked at that two weeks ago. They were in need of being taught again. The basic principles of the oracles of God, chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 13. Some of them were becoming unskilled in the word of righteousness. Then verse 14, they had become immature. So therefore, let me say again, we must remember this context if we're going to make sense of this passage. And there's so much here, and I don't want to give you too much at one time. That's why I've cut it off this morning at, at verse 3. But so... But I want to let you know that really what I'm going to do now, if you were here two weeks ago particularly, I'm going to try to tie up some of these loose ends that I don't feel like I did very well with two weeks ago. And I would like to answer with more clarity, I hope, what I think the author means by what does it mean, particularly for them, and then we'll apply that a little bit for us, but particularly for them in that context, what did it mean for them to move on to maturity? So with that in mind, I have three truths this morning. First truth, the mature Christian or the mature person knows that Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. So the mature 
Christian knows that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Number two, the mature Christian does not add to the gospel of Christ, any kind of works. And finally, and it'll be very brief, we'll, be, we'll spend more time in one and two today, but finally, the mature trusts the sovereignty of God in all things. So let's begin. Number one, the mature knows that Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. And I'll just go ahead and warn you now, I'm going to say a lot here, and so try to hang with me, and, I, and you might go, wow, after today, what in the world's going on? But this will help us continue through the rest of this book. But let me repeat that again. The mature knows that Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. So if we recall from my sermon two weeks ago, here are my points. The immature Christian cannot understand advanced truths. Two, the immature Christian is always relearning the same things over and over again. Immature Christian can never become a teacher. Always being taught. Never can, and we, again, we applied those two weeks ago. The immature Christian cannot apply truth in his or her own life. The immature Christian finally is in danger of apostasy, which will be there next week. That sermon, two weeks ago, had very little doctrine in it. It was very practical. And I think it made us think about ourselves as a church, and it made us think about our own maturity, or our lack of. And these applications stand as needed, for sure. But I don't really think that I answered that question very well. Look back at chapter 5, verse 12. I don't think I answered the question, what did the author mean concerning the basic principles of the oracles of God from chapter 5, verse 12. In other words, what were those Christians not moving on from? How were they immature? What was their error? Again, I think what I said was right. The principles were right. The applications were right. But I felt like I was a bit fuzzy on what is the meaning of chapter 5, verse 12, the principles of the oracles of God. So, in my first point two weeks ago, I said that we should learn and keep on and move on from the basic doctrines of the gospel of Christ. And in this way, we become mature. Again, this application still stands, but I don't think this answer is what the author had in mind, at least directly for them. Chapter 6, verse 1. Look with me here. He says, let us go on to maturity. Now, of course we are to move on to maturity as we go deeper into the gospel of Christ and as we are sanctified in that aspect. But in that context, this context here, I believe that he is speaking about moving on from the Old Testament Jewish foundations to the completion of those foundations in Christ. That's, so that's my first truth here. In other words, I'm going to repeat myself a lot today. In other words, he was saying, you move on to maturity, you Jewish, Hebrew, Christians, you move on to maturity when you know and understand that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. You're not saved by keeping Mosaic law. You're not saved by your traditions. Yes, the law 
was good. The law is good. And it was necessary. But Christ has fulfilled the law. Therefore, move on. Move on to maturity as you look unto Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Now, I believe the entire book of Hebrews teaches this truth right now. Because if you think about it, on every page, every page, we see the immeasurable superiority of who? Christ over all of those things in the Old Covenant. This is the, the key, brothers and sisters, that unlocks this book for us that we might have understanding in Hebrews. So with that in mind, I don't think the author is contrasting two different stages of Christianity, an immature and a mature. Though, again, the applications work. But I think he is contrasting substance over shadows. Let me give an example. Think about a forest. If you could picture looking out over a field, and there's a huge forest over here, but there's a field in front of it, and the sun is over here. And there's this beautiful forest, and maybe the field comes around, and then the, the sun hits the forest. And then when the sun hits the forest, what goes the other way? The shadow of the forest. So you've got all these beautiful trees, and then you've got a shadow that pushes, that, that comes along, and then the, you know how a shadow does, it just goes out to that side. Well, what if I were to say to one of my kids, hey, go and, and touch the trees. And so when, I, when my kids were younger, I said, go over to the forest and touch the trees. Well, what if they didn't touch the trees? What if they thought, wow, the shadows are really good. And they're, I can hardly tell the difference. And so they go running off in the direction of the shadows, but they never get to the, to the tree. What will they find if they get to the shadows? Well, you still got a shadow which perfectly mirrors the trees, but you don't have the tree itself. And so I use that as an illustration, as good or as bad as it is. In the same kind of way, the author is saying, we've got the trees, but these things, the or basic oracles of God and the basic elementary teachings, these are the shadows that, that point to that which is real, the tree. So from chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, I think this is the milk of all the types and shadows of the Old Covenant. So the author is saying, don't look back to those things as if they, in and of themselves, can save you. Don't mix Mosaic Law with the good news of the Gospel of Christ and His fulfillment. Don't go backwards. Move on to maturity. Judaism was temporary. Yes, it was foundational, but now the rest of the building has been built with the coming of the gospel. So don't be dull of hearing in this way. Move on to solid food. Move on to those principles of the oracle, or move on from those basic principles of the oracles of God. Then you will be skilled, as he says here in verse 13, skilled in the word of righteousness. Then you will have the powers of discernment to be able to distinguish between good and evil. Now, before quickly moving on, I must address for a moment the translation of chapter 6, verse 1. So that's where we're going to be now. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. 
Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to a maturity. This translation is far from literal. A literal translation will be better for our context, I think. Because literally it says, Therefore, having left the word of the beginning of Christ. Or, literally it says, Therefore, or wherefore, having left the, of the beginning of Christ, discourse. In other words, I think this text is teaching, yes, the Old Testament has been teaching about the Messiah all of these years. But you're still holding on to that only the Old Testament part of the teaching and the coming of the Messiah. That's why he says in chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So taken together, I believe the best meaning here is to leave the elementary teachings of what the Old Testament teaches about the Messiah. In other words, let's move on to maturity in all that the New Testament gives us in the fulfillment of Christ in the New Covenant. Let us embrace the full revelation of the Son in the New Covenant revealed in, in the New Testament. Let's move from the shadows and let's get to the tree. Let's get to the real. Again, I believe this is key. Think back to what we've been reading through Hebrews. Back to chapter 1. Think about this. This is the context. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us how? By the Son. He is the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds all of the universe by the word of His power. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than, than Aaron. He's greater than Joshua. He is our rest, brothers and sisters. He is greater than, than all of these things. And He is our high priest, not like Aaron, not like the priest that entered the, the tab, earthly tabernacle. Where has Christ entered? He's gone through the heavens. That's what He tells us. So the author is saying, these are the things that you're moving away from. And you're going back to those old things and types and shadows. Move on to maturity. And by going back to those types and shadows and figures, what's happened is you've become immature. And if this continues, you are in danger of <coughs> apostasy. So we need this today to help us through next week when we think about the context of apostasy. So very quickly, though, we're not sitting here today Jewish Hebrew Christians. who have moved. Now, there may be somebody here who is Jewish who used to practice that, but I'm not aware of that. But we are not today. So what do we do? How does this apply? Well, to the Hebrews... It meant abandoning the system of Judaism and trusting in the Son of God alone, as revealed in the New Covenant. But for Christians, for us today, it means that we must turn away from those things that used to absorb our time 
and our energy when we were unregenerate. When we were not Christians and find our satisfaction in Christ alone. So let me ask, how much do we as Christians still hold on to those things that drew us before we became believers? How much time and effort do we put into those worldly things that took us before and captivated us and blinded us before? And so that's an application for us to find our satisfaction, not in the things of this world, but to find our satisfaction in Christ alone, who He's fulfilled all of those things. For the Hebrews, I think of Jesus' words, even as He spoke in His day to those Jewish religious leaders. He says, believe in God, but believe also in Me. But for us today, this means that we must look unto our great high priest who now sits at the right hand of God. Dwell upon Him. Meditate upon Him. Who He is and what He has done in fulfilling all of God's all of God's promises in the book, in this Bible, are fulfilled in Christ. And what He has done. So in the end, this is the great doctrine of Christ alone that, that, that we're looking at, really. Christ is the fulfillment. But that, this makes us move on to, to truth number two. The mature... Christian does not add to the gospel of Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2. And I'll just say, I have had, I've probably spent more time, I say that a lot with Hebrews, I have read hundreds and hundreds of pages. And verses 1 and 2 are, get different sides of the coin on this one and and what it means. And I have taken one side, and I believe that it is true. But look at verses 1 and 2. The mature does not add to the gospel of Christ. So how are they adding? Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Wow. That is a lot, is it not? Look back at chapter 5, verse 12. That's why I let, this goes with verses, five, verses 11 to 14. Back at verse 12. These are the specifics, I think, of the basic principles of the oracles of God. These are the elementary doc, <coughs> excuse me, doctrines. And I believe it just goes along with the context. As we've seen, those Hebrew Christians were immature because they were returning to the old covenant and their understanding. They were going back to... The milk, which caused them not to be able to eat and understand and take in the meat of all of the doctrine of Christ. As the author says there, look at chapter 6. They were laying again a foundation. So let me ask, in essence, what were they doing in laying again A foundation. I think that's what I'm getting at here with with point number two. That they were adding to the work of Christ. They were adding to the gospel. 
And so in these verses, the author gives six doctrines that I believe were, well, they, they were, and everything I read showed that they were, but these were six Old Testament doctrines. And these doctrines are very important. And they were very important. And he describes these doctrines right here as a, quote, foundation. Again, I do not believe he is speaking of the elementary doctrines of experience as a Christian, but instead they were the basic <coughs> principles of the system of Judaism which, which they were looking into. Here's an example. Think about a building. Which comes first? What do you do when you're going to build a building? Well, I mean, you have to grade it first and everything you need to do there. But first thing you build is the foundation. We know that. That's easy. And then what happens? Well, then you add to that foundation. You might do the framing, and then you put the walls in and, and, the, and the roof, and then eventually you get inside and you do the whole building, right? But it's all based upon that foundation. The rest of the structure is laid upon that foundation. The foundation, though, precedes the building. That's the first thing you do. And when the building is finished, has any, does anybody even see the foundation? Do we even see it? Well, I don't know if that's the best example, but you don't really see the foundation. But it's there for sure, and it is vitally important. When the building, again, is finished... What you see is the entire building. Such is the case with Judaism and all of the Old Testament. And even after the building is built, the foundation is still there. Again, we don't, we don't go and lay that foundation again. To lay it again would be to forsake the substance with the shadows. Do you remember what Paul wrote to the Galatians? They were looking to the law of Moses, and they were, quote, falling from grace. Here's what he says. So then, Galatians, the law was our guardian until Christ came. That's, I would take that to mean the law of Moses. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So don't lay again those foundational truths. They were good, and they are good, but they're foundational. So, with that in mind, he lists six doctrines. I'm going to briefly give an explanation of each of these. First one is repentance. Look there with me. Repentance from dead works. Now notice, he doesn't say repentance from sins, but repentance from dead works. I believe he is speaking of the works of the earthly Levitical system, particularly all the ceremonies. And the reason they are dead is because they were only performed by men in the flesh. This is the earthly priesthood of Aaron, which has no power over the heart. The blood of bulls and goats, he says a little bit later, can never do what? The blood of those bulls and goats cannot do what? Cannot atone for our sins. Hebrews 10.1 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year 
make perfect those who draw near. So repentance from dead works. Don't go back to those works. They're, they were good. They were foundational. But they are dead works. Now Christ has come. He is the risen Lord. Look unto Him. Second one here. Faith towards God. <clears throat> I believe this phrase speaks of the nation of Israel who always, if you looked at any country in the world throughout history, which one believed in God? Israel. They believed in God as a nation. They were not like the Gentiles. Do you remember Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17? He, he, see, he sees an altar to who? The unknown God. God was not known to the Gentiles as He was to Israel. And often it turned into pride for them. They just thought, yep, we're God's chosen. We don't have anything to worry about. We are that chosen nation. But then when Christ came... They were told to put their faith in Him. Do you know how many times, and I'm not going to quote them, how many times in the New Testament it says, put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. And I could name them over and over and over again. But let me just have a, do a quick application here. Think about this. When you talk about God, capital G-O-D, the God of the universe. When you talk about God with your co-workers, with your neighbors, with others in conversation, what happens? It's usually pretty good, isn't it? No matter who you talk with, unless you're with an atheist, which is, which is kind of rare. But everybody believes in God. Everybody says, I'll do what God says. Oh, yeah, I pray to God. Oh, yeah, I, I follow Him in our, in our culture. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then... Start talking about Jesus. If you haven't done that recently, do it. Just do, because the easy way to not get any persecution or anything at all is just to continue talking about God because we all pretty much believe in some kind of higher power in God. But when you start talking about Jesus, what happens? Even in your schools, what happens? Well, well you might bring up Jesus. Yeah, he's the Son of God. But oh, well, let's go a little bit deeper. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, that you should believe in Him, that you wouldn't perish. Oh, and that He died on the cross and He shed His blood. <clears throat> and God's sins were laid upon Him. And you start talking about the gospel in that way, what happens to your conversations? Very quickly, you, you, the conversation is turned. So I, I think that might be a... May be a good explanation here. He's saying, hey, it's not just faith in God in general in the way you believe, but now this all finds its fulfillment. Your faith is in Christ, whom we know is God in the flesh. Notice the next one there. Of the doctrine of, a lot of translations here have the doctrine of baptisms. Again, I think we miss something in translation here. The word for baptism is in the plural. And so with this context, I do not believe the author is speaking of, of Christian baptism in any way. This word is found four other times in the New Testament. And in every other case, it is translated washings. It, it is baptisms. In the, in the Greek, baptismos, and it's the, it's the plural. But in every other case, it's translated as washings. So that's why I do not think he is speaking about Christian baptism here. 
I believe he's referring to all of the ceremonial washings of the Old Covenant, of Mosaic Law. There's so many. If you, if you ever go back, Mary and I were talking this morning. How many times have we read about washing, Mary? Washing, 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 washing. When there's a dead body and somebody dies or there's, there's an animal that's been killed, you wash before, you wash after, you, clear, you do all of these washings. And at times they were very rigorously followed in the Old Testament. They washed their hands, they washed their bodies, they washed their clothes, they washed all their sacrificial instruments. And all of these were a picture of what? Removal of sin. Washing of sin. But now, I think he was saying, now that Christ has come, it's no longer necessary to go back to those washings because what those Washington's washings pointed to was the removal of sin from Christ and His blood. If you are a Christian today, your sins are removed, not because you wash yourself, but we are, our sins are forgiven because of something so much deeper that the, the Son of God has done for us on the cross. The next one here, on laying on of hands. Again, and I'll just confess, as I was reading through these things with commentators, some commentators took every one of these to be Christian things. But then they had to, in my opinion, had to jump through hoops to make it work. Because it, was, it just doesn't fit the context. And so I disagree with some folks that are much godlier and much better at me at theology, that's for sure. But think about here the laying on of hands. I believe this refers primarily to the high priest. What happened on the Day of Atonement every year? And at other times they would do this as well as they would lay their hands on what? <clears throat> well on those sacrificial animals, particularly on the Day of Atonement when they would lay their hands on the goat and it would go out into the, to the wilderness. But laying on of hands was saying, I deserve what this animal is getting. And it's, it's like a transfer. It's a picture saying, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve death. So I believe that's what he's saying. Moving on, you Jewish Christians, move on to Christ. Yes, those were foundational. Absolutely. But let's move on. Leviticus, Leviticus 16.21 Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat. He shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And I think that those Hebrew Christians would have understood this when they read that. The next one. And of the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> this was, I'll, I'll say the next two were difficult, but for both Christians and Jews, both of us believe in the resurrection of the dead. And for most, except maybe the, the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, they believed in a general resurrection. When all of us will be resurrected at some point, both the just and the unjust. And we believe the same. Martha said to Jesus concerning Lazarus, she said to Jesus, I know that my brother Lazarus, he will rise again on that day in the resurrection on the last day. And then in, but in contrast to that as Christians, Mark chapter 9. With Christians, with us, the resurrection gets more specific. Mark chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. 
And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. I think the Christian resurrection is one of the redeemed before that of the wicked, because the dead in Christ will be rise, will rise first. I know there's a lot here, but it just in brevity, there is a shift from the Old Testament, Old Testament understanding to New Testament understanding in the resurrection of the dead. It changes from there is a resurrection of the dead to there is a resurrection from the dead, and that is in Christ. In the Old Testament, there is a general resurrection, but in the New Testament, the resurrection is for the redeemed who are in Christ. Last one, sixth doctrine here, and then we'll... I'll try to close it out here. The last one is of eternal judgment. Without going into much detail, there is a shift in this understanding of eternal judgment, which I think it crosses over a bit here with the resurrection of the dead, as I've just shared. In the Old Testament, it is general, but in the New Testament, it is the judgment seat of Christ. And so it is very clear. Who will judge us? Christ is the seat of of judgment. Now, I know I've left out a lot there, and I've really tried to be as brief as I could to go through the text and make some sense of that. In all honesty, four or five of the sermons that I read on it didn't even, weren't even able to apply that. It was so fuzzy to me. And, and, and in many ways, I feel like I am leaving it, and I would love for you guys to go on and read more for yourselves and chat with me in this point. But again, I know I flew through them. And getting every point of explanation is not so important. In our context, those Hebrew Christians had confessed Christ. Their faith was in Him. But then, through persecution and time, they were returning to Judaism. And in this way, they were in danger of forsaking the substance for the shadows. But our author says, Let us leave these elementary foundational doctrines and move on to maturity. Yes, the milk is good, but let's move on to the meat. So let's don't relearn the same things over and over again. Look unto Christ, who is superior to all of the old covenant. Then you will be able to teach others. Then you will be able to handle the word of righteousness. Then you will be able to distinguish between good and evil. And so in the end, I believe they were adding to the gospel of Christ. Look at chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 13. And I'll move on to a couple applications for us. Chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. Will He purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So again, move on to Christ and do not add to what He has done. So a few applications here. The mature Christian. So if you're here today, this is one of the things that we do as we move on to maturity. The mature interprets the Scriptures through the lens of Christ. Think about shooting 
an arrow at a bullseye. We want to hit the center. The center is Christ. And we go out from there. We don't want to start on the outsides with all these other dark doctrines and things. We start with Christ and then we make sense of everything else that comes around. The Bible, this Bible, is one big book about Jesus. It's what it's about. It is one big book about the unfolding plan of God to send His Son. The great plan of God to bring all things together in Christ. And so therefore, how do you understand the Bible? Do, do you automatically go back to Christ and His person and His work to understand? I think what happens with cults a lot of times is they take one verse, it's out there somewhere, and then off they go. And even... I think immature Christians and immature Christian churches, they'll take one verse and off they go and that's everything that they focus on. Can't hit anything else. But I think a, a mature Christian, a mature church focuses on the gospel and then moves out from there. And that gives clarity to all these other doctrines. Second application. The mature Christian views all things through the lens of the person and work of Christ. In other words, our blessings come down to us through Christ, in whom all of God's blessings, all of God's treasures, everything that He has for us comes down through Christ to us. That's why we, we're Christians. We look unto Him. That's why I pray, God, may He increase, may I decrease, may we decrease. Application number three. When we add to the gospel of Christ, what is our focus? Well, we focus on those things that we add. We think on, I think we focus on works. And when we do this, we take away from the great grace of God in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we cannot add anything to our salvation. I think, when I think of our Baptist brothers and sisters... I often think that, that walking an aisle or raising a, ha a hand or, or doing something good or making some <clears throat> profession is, is just adding on to the works. Now, all those things are good, but we can't add to the person and work of Christ in this way. By laying again a foundation, their error, the Hebrew Christian errors that he wrote to, was to shift the focus away from grace to works again. Which, at the end of the day, that's why so many Christians are so legalistic. We like, don't do this, do that. Don't do this. And we need that. But we all need that. And so Christians that are legalistic, it's not that, that Christians that aren't don't believe the same thing. We believe the same things. It's just that I believe if we do that, and I would say I, I've certainly been in error, so have we all, because that's our natural tendency. We want to work for it. We think, even just thinking about my prayer life, and I think, wow, Sunday school this morning, he is interceding for me, and even my sin, in some way, the heart of Christ who's now covered my sins on the cross, who now sits at the right hand of God, that he is actually 
towards me and loving me and going towards me, it just blows me away because what I want to say is, Lord, I've done it again. I've sinned again. How can you come back to me again? Now, the other side of that, if we continually move away, and we're going to talk about that next week, apostasy. What does it really mean to move away from Christ? Move away. We're going to get that next week. But this is helpful to us. When we do these things, we relay foundation. In this way, we're adding to the gospel of grace. Finally this morning, number three. And this is the shorter one. The mature trusts the sovereignty of God in all things. Look at verse 3. He's saying, let us leave the elementary things, elementary doctrine of Christ, doctrine of the Messiah, and go on to maturity. Not laying in a foundation of repentance, dead works, faith towards God, and washing about washings, whatever. And all of these things in verse 3, this we will do. If what? If God permits. We, all, we always must say, I'm not just going to run and do this and go to the store tomorrow and go sell tomorrow and do, go to this school tomorrow and do that. We say, if God wills, if God permits. So I think the author now is putting himself in the midst of those Hebrew Christians and he's saying, we will move on if God permits. At the end of the day, this author knew that salvation was from the Lord. And so do we, brothers and sisters. All of it. All of it. As Paul says in Romans 9, verse 14 through 16, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends on, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. If God wills. The mature Christian knows this. And I would say for us, by way of application, that the sovereignty of God, in other words, God controls, He has authority, He controls all things in heaven and earth. Whether He does them directly or whether He allows them, we like to use that language, we've talked about that, whatever it is, Whatever comes to pass, God is still sovereign over all of those things. And to the extent that we believe this is how happy and how blessed we are. Otherwise, how do we go through sickness? How do we go through death of our loved ones? How do we go through when a, when a, when a, when a drunk driver hits a three-year-old and kills them? How do you make sense of that? Still, the biggest problem for the world is this issue. And I'll admit it. But for the Christian... The fact that God is in control of all things and He is not the author of sin. There's great mystery there. But otherwise, what do we have to, to hold on to as an anchor if, if God has just put the world into motion and just lets it go? I'm not, oh, I'm responsible for this because it's good, but I'm not responsible for that. I mean, did He not raise up Pharaoh in such a way that, that He would show His great power through Pharaoh? I mean, on and on we could go, but it's so important for us. God is working all things, all things according to His plan. To bring glory to Himself. And so therefore, what, a, what an application for us. If God wills. What a doctrine for us. In closing today, let's, 
turn to Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. You probably memorized this. Many of us have. But if we remember our three truths, the mature Christian looks to Christ, who is the fulfillment of all the Old Covenant. Two, the mature Christian does not add to the grace of Christ. Doesn't put on works. And then three, the sovereignty of God in all things, if God wills. We trust the sovereignty of God. Think about that as we read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There we see our first two truths in, in essence right there. We're saved through Christ and not through works. And it is a gift. There's, there's a sovereignty. But even further, for we are His what? We are His workmanship. He's working in us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So studying Hebrews for us, and I know this was, this was difficult today, and I said a lot and the explanation was a lot, but I hope you heard something, at least in the over and over, of the many things that I said today. But it, this will help us, I promise, for next week as we talk about apostasy. But studying Hebrews unlocks the great mysteries of the gospel for us, especially as we read the Old Testament. And this seems to be what... The Apostle Paul, not to mention this author, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, but it's what Paul does in all of his writings. He is showing how the Old Testament Scriptures are fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, our salvation is in Christ alone, apart from the works of the law, and if we are to be saved, it is because of the great sovereign choosing of God. Great work in our lives to save us, who created us in Christ for good works. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these words. And as Christians, as we listen, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might love Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we might not be in danger of adding to the gospel of Christ, adding to what he has already done. And that we would, Father, read good books about such things. And that we would read our New Testaments and see, oh, and then move back to the Old Testament as they are one book. And to see that Christ is the fulfillment of all of your promises in the Old Testament. Help us, Father, to, to trust your sovereignty over all things in our lives as we go out this day. Help us to look unto Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.